The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. The first Mark Stein show of 2021, and because we're showing up a little later than expected in this new year because of rush duties and Tucker duties that in uh, recent days have focused exclusively on the warp speed stampede to erect the new post-America before January 20th, we will expand our horizons and have a little bit of an extended wallow in some of our uh, regular non breaking news features a little later because it is necessary not just for one's psychological health in times of crisis but just to be a functioning and civilized human being should the crisis ever ease. It's good to get off the hamster wheel because breaking news now comes so fast that it breaks and crumbles to nothing even as it's announced. On Friday I watched my comrade Tucker Carlson hot from telling us that the president had been permanently banned from Twitter, update that story to reveal that Trump had managed to get a new tweet out to the world by using his official presidential Twitter account, at POTUS, uh, which he hasn't used much in the last four years. Uh, The tweet wasn't particularly exciting. I can't remember it. But uh, even before he'd finished reading it, Tucker had to update his update to report that the tweet had vanished from Twitter. It was there for two minutes and then it was gone. It's not clear that Twitter had anything to do with that. Um, POTUS is a permanent account that gets passed from Obama to Trump to Biden to Kamala to Eric Swalwell. Um, So if Twitter really did have nothing to do with vaporizing that presidential tweet, then what it means is that the White House removed the presidential tweet and presumably changed the password to ensure that he couldn't do it again. Donald J. Trump was never really, uh, what's the phrase, the head of the executive branch. Key elements of the executive branch, the Department of Justice, the FBI, were never within his control and always working against him. And those elements have multiplied in recent months uh, when the bizarre but apparently still practicing lawyer, uh, Lynn Wood, called for the president to impose martial law in Georgia, Pennsylvania, etc., he didn't seem to notice that the chiefs of staff are basically in open defiance of their commander-in-chief. If Trump can't get orders on troop withdrawal from Syria carried out, the idea that he can find someone to order up the invasion of Michigan is delusional. Surely uh, there was no phone call so unnecessary this last week as Nancy Pelosi's to General Milley chairman of the Joint Chiefs, to insist that he not obey any orders coming from Trump. Although one should note that encouraging the military to ignore its civilian masters is, in fact, a pretty basic definition of actual sedition. I said on our Clubland Q&A that America's mostly peaceful, peaceful transition of power was basically a slow-motion Ceausescu balcony moment dragged out over three months. But they're closing in now, aren't they? I saw an amusing JPEG or GIF or whatever of Trump 
trying to get hold of Baron's Twitter password, but no doubt that jest has been superseded by whatever breaking news has broken in the last 12 seconds. So I might as well do some breaking news of my own. Last night, I fired my lawyers in the Michael Mann case. As you know, Mann is the inventor of the once famous global warming hockey stick, and he's been suing me in the choked septic tank of the District of Columbia Superior Court for over eight years now. But that's nothing to do with why I fired my lawyers. Climate change did not come into it. Instead, I had to fire them because of the mostly peaceful, peaceful transition of power. A couple of hours after concluding yesterday's Clubland Q&A, I got an email that Kroll and Mooring, a big white shoe law firm in Washington, were heading an effort to pressure Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment and remove the president from office. And that name, uh, Kroll and Mooring, ran a vague bell. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, they're my lawyers. And then I gave it three seconds thought and sacked them. I should explain that they're not the lawyers who do any of the lawyering. <laughs> In fact, to the best of my knowledge, uh, I've never actually met them or spoken with them. But one of the bizarre aspects of so-called justice in America, at least to us foreigners, is that there's really no such thing as an American lawyer. I'm sitting here in New Hampshire, and my New Hampshire attorney has no right to practice across the river in Vermont, never mind in Washington, D.C. So in the Mann case, my lawyer is uh, the excellent Dan Kornstein, who's seen the case, uh, now under its third trial judge, only in America, uh, going rather our way in recent rulings. But because Dan is not a D.C. lawyer, the sewer that is the D.C. court system uh, requires us to get a local lawyer before we even get to play in the playpen. So we wound up with Kroll and Mooring. And in fairness, the first guy was uh, quite good when I was testifying before the ghastly United States Senate. The Democrats, as is their want, let in a bunch of Greenpeace, quote, activists to intimidate some of the witnesses. That's a point to bear in mind during all this bleating about the sacred majesty of the Capitol being violated uh, on Wednesday. The Democrats routinely let in goons to threaten witnesses at congressional hearings, but as it's their goons, they're OK with that. But I believe there's uh, some video out there on the internet of me and the Kroll and Mooring guy having to get in the face of the witness intimidation thugs. Uh, he was good at that. Can't speak to his trial skills because in a decade-long case, he wasn't around long enough to take it to trial. And so he got replaced by not one, but two uh, other Kroll and Mooring lawyers who are necessary to comply with D.C. court rules and who charge a gazillion bucks an hour uh, for not doing anything much except having their names on the court docket. Just to be clear, I didn't fire them because they're anti-Trump. Being Canadian, I'm so out of it, I don't really think of uh, lawyering in political terms. I like lawyers who are effective, not lawyers who agree with what I say about politics in the pub afterwards. And if anything, I have actually a very slight bias towards lawyers who don't agree with me politically, because uh, in my experience, um, uh, it helps to have uh, fellows who point out the flaws in your case more honestly uh, than they might if uh, they were ideologically uh, fully on board with you. I'm not sure any of my many lawyers in my many lawsuits of recent years have ever voted for Trump, 
Uh, but they won all the Blaze CRTV cases, for example, which uh, is generally what you're looking for in an advocate. If you hire your lawyers from guys who talk butch on Fox News, well, you wind up with... Uh, well, actually, you wind up with uh, that election fraud team that gave that very bizarre press conference a few weeks ago. And where did that get the president? So I didn't fire Crowell and Mooring because of their politics. I fired them because, again, as a Canadian, I don't see what business it is of a law firm to launch a public campaign to remove the head of government. Lawyers are supposed to advocate for their clients, but Kroll and Mooring don't have any clients in this particular case. They're representing themselves. Oh, I know what they'd say. They're representing the American people or the U.S. Constitution. Whoop-de-doo. I take it they're not asking the U.S. Constitution for a large retainer. Uh, and if I'd known that was an option, I'd have brought it up a zillion years ago. Furthermore, while we're straying into legal analysis, there is absolutely nothing the president said in his speech to his supporters on Wednesday that comes anywhere near the definition, the legal definition, of incitement to violence, even in a perverted crap hole of justice like the American system. That's why, in case you haven't noticed, Whenever the U.S. media go on about the president inciting the mob, they never actually show a clip of him doing so. Go on, watch the full thing. There's not a five-second soundbite they can lift to make their point and to broadcast over and over and over. By contrast, if incitement to violence is your big bugbear, there's actually a rather specific correlation between the Democrats' public indulgence of BLM Antifa, the explicit support of Kamala Harris, the bailing out of violent protesters by Biden staffers and Hollywood celebrities, a rather specific correlation between all that and the massive spike in murders and violent crime in Democrat-run cities this last year. So by going along with a rubbish argument that has no support in law, Crowell and Mooring are vandalising the law and the legal standard. And as they're supposed to be representing me in the most important free speech case in half a century, a law firm that is inimical uh, to a decent respect for a variety of opinions with which they are not in agreement is not helpful. So I fired them after giving it three seconds thought, and I regret that this is the way it is now. But as I said yesterday, while American conservatives shrank politics into merely dragging some generally unlovely hack across the finish line every other November, the other side expanded politics to every single aspect of life so that there's no escape from it wherever you turn. And I don't suppose it makes much difference to these fellows that I sacked them, but it's important to do so, if only to reject the central lie of our times, that radical leftist positions are somehow the consensus of society, whether that's about gender transitioning for grade schoolers or removing the president because you disagree with him. In post-America, there's going to be a lot more of this. Escape the quarantine by delving into fantastic fiction chosen and read by Mark Stein himself in Stein's Tales for Our Time. Thrillers, mysteries, science fiction, romance, tales that transcend genre, everything from classics to titles hidden in the upper shelves. Mark Stein Club members can listen to the full catalog of nearly three dozen tales for our time. Hear them all by going to www.steinonline.com slash TFOT.
And we will have a brand new tale for our time launching on Sunday. This is one you do not want to miss. Believe me. Launches tomorrow. Brand new tale for our time. Okay. Cue the flashback machine. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. The capital goes up in smoke, getting tomorrow's weather today and a happy ending in the Canadian wilderness. It's January 1921. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues. Berlin has replied to France's disarmament ultimatum. Chancellor Ferenbach says that Germany has done its best to comply with the Treaty of Versailles and has turned over 20,000 grenade launchers, 50,000 cannons, 60,000 machine guns and 5 million rifles. But the Chancellor says that it is impossible to adhere to the letter to the terms of the treaty. Walker D. Hines, the American director of railroads chosen by the Allies to arbitrate the disbursement of the defeated enemy's munitions, has given 13.5% of Germany's Rhine River fleet of barges and tugs to France. In Turkey, the Allied forces have announced that the new government at Constantinople will be permitted to withdraw 400,000 Turkish pounds worth of gold from the Imperial Ottoman Bank to fund the Turkish Treasury. The poet Gabriel D'Annunzio, who has described himself as Il Duce of his new state, has now ended his attempt to take over Fiume on the Adriatic coast and abandon the so-called Regency of Carnaro, proclaimed by him in 1919. The Republic of Central Lithuania is another new state, backed by Poland and run by Lucian Zeligowski from his capital of Vilnius. General Zeligowski has now solidified his grip and announced the formation of a new police force for the Republic and a new court system. Since the Bolshevik Revolution, both American and Japanese troops have occupied parts of Russia, but they are uneasy allies. In Vladivostok, a U.S. Navy lieutenant, Warren Langdon, has been shot by a Japanese sentry. Oh, the sun.
The Earl of Reading, recently British ambassador in Washington, has stopped to rest his tired caravan in Hindustan. Among his many distinctions, Lord Reading was the first Jew to become England's Lord Chief Justice, and he is now the first Jew to be appointed Viceroy of India. Back in London, the government is ordering every household in Ireland to post a notice on the front door, listing all persons resident in the dwelling or face criminal prosecution. As the security situation deteriorates, the government has also extended martial law to four more counties, County Clare, County Kilkenny, County Waterford and County Wexford. In the United States, a special committee of the House of Representatives has voted to increase the number of congressmen from 435 to 483, but also to set a permanent limit of no more than 500 members of the House. On the Great White Way, municipal authorities have enacted, quote, the most radical change in street traffic regulations in the history of New York. From seven o'clock in the evening, traffic through Times Square on both Broadway and on 7th Avenue shall be northbound only until midnight. This new routing will affect some 40,000 automobiles that travel through Times Square during theatre hours, a street on which you can only drive one way. Maybe someone should do a play about that, or at least a Ziegfeld Follies production number. Here's a Japanese sneaking on with a Ah, oh, that Japanese sandman can go pound sand. It's not just California electors voting to restrict land ownership rights of Japanese nationals. Citizens in Harlingen, Texas, have driven out two Japanese families who had recently purchased farmland in the municipality. The mayor of Davenport, Iowa, C.L. Bargwald, was elected, along with the majority of the city aldermen, as a candidate of the Socialist Party of America. Now he says he's done with the Socialist Party and called the city aldermen, quote, disciples of Lenin, with whom no one could compromise. Over the previous six months, says his honour, the Socialist majority has, quote, forced a program of radical legislation on the city. Mayor Bargwald, who hitherto identified as a follower of Leon Trotsky rather than Vladimir Lenin, now says, quote, the principles of Trotsky have no place in America. Sometimes you don't need a firebrand like Lenin or Trotsky. A fire has destroyed the West Virginia State Capitol building in Charleston. It started about five o'clock in the afternoon in a small room containing paper records of the State Public Service Commission. An electrician and a fireman were killed when a section of the roof collapsed. Only the outer shell of the building remains. Across the country, a lavish new hotel now graces Los Angeles. It opened at midnight on New Year's Eve in order that it could launch itself with old Lang Syne celebrations. It's called the Ambassador 
Hotel. Pittsburgh's KDKA radio station has notched up another first, the first live broadcast of a church service direct from the church. Using a telephone line to transmit the signal back to the station and the transmitter, KDKA successfully brought to its listeners the Sunday services of Calvary Episcopal Church. If you go to church by radio, do you have to wear your Sunday best? Another broadcasting first. Look for the silver lining whene'er a cloud appears in the blue. The silver lining is that you can now get an advance warning of that cloud and any precipitation that may issue therefrom. At half past midday on January the 3rd, Milwaukee's radio station 9XM broadcast the first spoken word weather forecast in America. As Wisconsin farmers may recall, 9XM experimented with so-called weather forecasts before the World War, but only in Morse code. Radio weather forecasts have been broadcast in the United Kingdom, and 9XM believes they have appeal beyond just farmers. For the moment, they will continue to follow the spoken word forecast with the Morse code version. A story with a happy ending. On December 13th, the US Navy balloon A5598 took off from Rockaway, New York, and disappeared on the following day, since when not a word has been heard. It turns out it crashed in the Canadian wilderness, and the three aeronauts, Navy Lieutenants Louis Claude Jr., Stephen Farrell and Walter Hinton, only narrowly avoided coming down in icy James Bay. Instead, they landed about 20 miles north of Moose Factory Island at the mouth of the Moose River. They wandered around for about four days before they ran into a Cree fur trader who initially mistook them for His Majesty's revenue agents. Once that misunderstanding was cleared up, he guided them to Moose Factory, where the Americans recuperated and then made their way to the nearest railway halt at Mattis. No happy ending for the Spanish liner, the Santa Isabel. It ran aground on the rocks of Villa Garcia and most passengers and crew were below deck because of a rough storm. In consequence, 244 people are now dead. I sigh, I cry, it's just a glimpse of heaven when my baby smiles at me. When your baby smiles at you, Maybe it's because he knows he'll be a Grand Duke one day. Less than two years after her marriage, the young Grand Duchess of Luxembourg has given birth to a son and heir to be called Jean. William Robinson was an American electrical engineer who back in the 1870s invented the automatic track circuit signal that made train travel so much safer. He then invented the first coaster brake for bicycles, the first skates on rollers, the first repeating telephone. Mr. Robinson has died at the age of 80. 
Béatrice Lapalme was born in Belleuil, Quebec, and won the late Lord Strathcona and Mount Royal's first scholarship to the Royal College of Music. Within a few years, the Québécois soprano had made her debut at the Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, and at the Opera Comique in Paris, and was appearing in Lacme, Madame Butterfly, and La Fille du Régiment. Now she is dead at the age of just 42. And that's the way of the world. January 1921. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. A quick programming note. Our 100 Years Ago show will be reprised as a Sunday standalone starting at the end of this month. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Todd Lewis, a Stein Club member from Virginia, writes, Mark, I believe I read a few days ago that Chairman Xi had ordered the Chinese military to be ready to go to war on a moment's notice. If this is true, does that mean that the first international incident of the quote-unquote Biden administration will be the annexation of Taiwan? Furthermore, does it mean that America and Europe have now so subverted and exhausted themselves that all the arbiters of international affairs will henceforth be Asiatic? Will China, India, Russia, Pakistan and a few others now set the agenda for the entire world order of the 21st century? Is this the end of the West in this regard and the full ascendancy of the East? What do you think? Interesting question, Todd. As you know, we're really all about the big picture here, which is why I'm not going to waste any more of what remains of my life on who's up, who's down in the Iowa straw poll. The big challenge of our times is that Western civilization is sliding off the cliff and most citizens of Western nations are not even aware of that. The spring of 2020 was useful in that it told us how much of the world China already controls, including our own access to basic medicines. That moment passed with the death of George Floyd. And so now nobody in America is talking about bringing the supply chain home or anything like that. As a child of empire, I know a little of what it's like to live in a system that has peaked and is in decline. You have the outward symbols of greatness. To um, watch the Queen's coronation in 1953 would be to think that nothing had changed. In reality, to use an image I deployed in After America, you're like a Parisian boulevardier in the gay 90s, strolling through Montmartre, elegant and dapper as ever, uh, but within, entirely rotted out from tertiary syphilis. Sometimes other people discern that before you do. Apart from uh, using it to stick it to Trump in the global media, the Chicoms aren't much interested in what Washington's been talking about this last week, all that citadel of democracy crap, um, to retrieve another image I've become partial to. They think we've degenerated into a great power theme park in which we all run around like Civil War reenactors. But the real global action is elsewhere. And if you talk, as I do once in a while, or I did before these buggering lockdowns, 
if you if you talk with fellas from uh, Singapore or Delhi uh, or uh, Bahrain or Islamabad, they certainly grasp that and they are making their dispositions accordingly. And again, it's something that we don't even get, most of us, we don't even get that it's going on. Tales of Chinese intellectual property theft say all a bit murky and hard to comprehend if you just watch the CBS Evening News. But a lot of other things aren't. China now has the biggest surface fleet in the world. And they're old school. They don't build a giant military just so we can have dithering, ineffectual bases in over a 100 countries in order that whenever Lindsey Graham stands up in the Senate and calls for boots on the ground in who gives a stand, uh, the uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff can point out that it's, uh, in fact, they're already there. Uh, China builds a giant military in order to use it for military conquest. They're all old-fashioned. They think the purpose of an army is to conquer places. June marks the 100th birthday of the Chinese Communist Party, and they will want to mark that anniversary in a way that tells the world they're the future and the future is here and you'd better get used to it. So if I were Taiwanese, I'd be very nervous. The Chaikoms are not shy about hegemonic violence, and all we've done these last 30 years is give an openly hegemonic and violent regime, the most sophisticated full-spectrum technology. We're so generous, we let them make all that sophisticated full-spectrum technology, uh, thereby uh, disarming ourselves. Meanwhile, Biden picks his cabinet on the basis of whether he's got too many lesbian Pacific Islanders and too few transgender Muslims. Yeah, that seems likely to work. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. If you heard my two-part conversation with Don Black last weekend, you'll have heard along the way a couple of references to Don's occasional songwriting partner, Jeff Stevens. Jeff got the COVID early last year, survived it, and then died on Christmas Eve, which is a good way to ensure there's not a lot of press coverage. Our friend Tim Rice mentioned Jeff's passing in a tweet, but that was it. You may not know Jeff's name, but you'll know, I think, a number of his songs, <laughs> which is interesting because Jeff didn't know his songs well enough to be able to play them on the piano. Many years ago, uh, Jeff and Don decided to do a review of their work and asked me along to do a little mise-en-scene arranging the order of the songs and uh, providing a little narrative thrust, that kind of thing. And Nika Burns, who owns half the theatres in the West End, if you walk up Shaftesbury Avenue from Piccadilly Circus, pretty much everything on the left is hers, culminating in the spectacular palace at Cambridge Circus. Uh, Nika was going to produce. So we have our first meeting at Nika's house, round the piano, and Nika's expecting Jeff to play all his hits, and uh, he can't. And so Nika waves at me, and I always limber up with uh, Harry Warren's lovely tune, I Know Why. Uh, and because it's the tune I always limber up with, it sounds pretty okay, and it's all downhill from there. Anytime I'm the best pianist in the room, you're in big 
trouble. Jeff was a magnificent songwriter, uh, but he couldn't really play his own work. Uh, or uh, if he did, uh, things that you remembered as really great songs didn't sound all that great. This is one of those songs. This was the breakthrough hit. Jeff was a Londoner, a schoolmaster, an air traffic controller who liked to write satirical sketches and songs, some of which made it onto the BBC. He managed Donovan, he wrote a hit for the Applejacks. And then, at the absolute high point of the British invasion, the Beatles, the Stones, all the rest, he formed something called the New Fordville Band. And he wound up with a worldwide smash and the only Billboard number one record with a prominent bassoon. Winchester Cathedral Comparison with uh, Moon Over Miami, I Got a Gal in Kalamazoo, my Tallahassee Lassie. There are very few songs about English cities and only one about the cathedral in that city. Avodio do indeed. Words and music by Jeff Stevens. One night, Frank Sinatra was over at Bennett Surf's house for dinner. Mr. Surf was the founder of Random House, a very successful publisher, and he also appeared on the TV show What's My Line? So he was a famous intellectual. And Sinatra could occasionally have moments of uh, intellectual insecurity and become susceptible. And thus, when Bennett Surf said, Hey, Frank, you know what song you ought to record? Winchester Cathedral. Frank did as advised. Hey, Winchester Cathedral, you are bringing me down. You stood and you watched as you watched her go by my baby left town. You could have done something, but you didn't even try. Didn't do nothing, you didn't ding dong, you let her get by. Now everyone knows. 
just how much I needed that girl She wouldn't have gone far away If only you'd started to ring in your bell Now Winchester Cathedral Man, you brought me down You just stood there and watched as My baby left town Well, you can't say he isn't trying to get into it. Frank Sinatra sings Jeff Stevens. And as Stein Clubber Gary Alexander would be the first to point out, maybe even on his radio show, Frank wasn't alone in doing that song. Dizzy Gillespie did. So Jeff Stevens had a hit group, uh, the new vaudeville band. They had a hit album. And lurking on that album was another big song. Here am I with our pal Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits. You know, we knew Jeff Stevens. He was he'd, yeah. he'd written Winchester Cathedral. And we knew him. He was he was one of he was a person that we knew. Yeah. And and he, I think, wasn't a, wasn't a great singer or a great piano player. No, he was a terrible. Uh, he, he is a terrible. He's one of the yeah. world's worst. Piano well, he could have taken lessons, but then yeah. I'm talking 1964. <laughs> yeah. He was not very good. No, it was no. sort of a bit. He'd had a hit with Winchester Cathedral, which was a kind of uh, a, a, a 1960s group doing sort of vaudevillian style. Finchley Central is two and sixpence from Golders Green on the Northern Line. Finchley Central is two and sixpence from Golders Green on the Northern Line. And on the platform by the kiosk that's where you said you'd be mine There we made our date For hours I waited But I'm blessed she never shared At Finchley Central, ten long stations From Gilda's Green Change at Camden Town I thought I'd made you, but I'm afraid you Really let me down. Like 1960s versions of 1920s songs. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. And, and, but he sang on that record, so yeah. you know yeah. that it's yeah. that kind of. It's more of like a, but but he had this chord progression, progression which was good. C E major was that would she would she could could she could she could she could that was that yeah. then which yeah. turned into there's a kind of hush, and uh, he, he had it a bit as if it was for Engelbert Humperdinck. It was yeah. written not for Herman Hermits. It was like there's a kind of hush all over the world. <laughs> There's a kind of hush all over the world tonight. All over the world you can hear the sounds of lovers in love. You know what I mean? That's Engelbert doing a kind of hush, but the one who sounds most like Peter's pastiche there is our old friend Ed Ames of the Ames Brothers. There's a kind of hush all over the world tonight. It became an Engelbert Humperdinck song 
afterwards because all the easy listening guys did it. Yeah. But that was that's not how you don't see it as that kind of Perry Como did it and you don't you don't see it as that kind of No, uh, we heard it. This, actually Richard Carpenter mm -hmm. heard our version and and did a version yeah. with the Carpenters yeah. because he liked the way that it was presented that was there you know like a pop song yeah, not yeah, like a yeah, ballad. Yeah, it's up and break. Yeah. I love a good and then I wrote story and the the one that Les Reed told me years ago is so good I've always dreaded finding out it's not true but he told me that when he was living in Surrey he used to give an unemployed actor a ride up to town every morning so, uh, so <laughs> not every morning but when he was going to do auditions for West End producers and what have you and he says he's in the car <laughs> with the guy and he goes, uh, so how are things going? You're getting lots of work. And, uh, and the actor t says to him, well, I'm afraid, lovey, there's a kind of hush all over the world just at the moment, dear. And he goes, that great? that's great. Can that's I write that? Idea. So it was a line like, it was essentially a poetic way of saying, my telephone's not ringing. <laughs> and, uh, there's a kind of hush, yeah. And Les and Jeff managed to get a love song out of that. And yeah. the thing about it is, uh, it's quite a mature love song in a strange way. And you were like a kid at the time. And I think I was probably already 18. That's a man, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, well, you got, I think you got married on your 21st exactly, birthday. Exactly, yeah. Because I think that's... Because what, I could sign the contract. Right, right. Didn't I have to ask my dad to sign it. Yeah. But yeah. It, it may be, but I think young people then were just only romantic in songs. They would live in someone else's song. Like, And I, I bought into that. I was sort of naive about the fact that so the lyrics are kind of very clever in there's a kind of yeah. score. So listen very carefully. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, and, so it's kind of, it's weird because it's a, it's like a global, it's about love as a global phenomenon and it's super intimate all at the same time. It's fantastic. It, it's yeah. a very clever, I, I yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, close and that, it's just very, and, and if you play it into it and, yeah. and the, the session that we did it, we all played into the romantic part right, of it. Right. Thoughtlessly. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't think about it. I thought, well, this is so listen very carefully. Oh, this good because they're going to play that. If I, yeah. if I sing and go, so listen, you know, to yeah, like yeah. dramatize it. And that, that seems to work for me still, I think. I, the and audience you, get it. And you put a slight onomatopoeic thing on the hush, which is uh, yeah. effective. Uh, I think so. Yeah. You know. did, you ever, did you ever go back and hear that Jeff Stevens version on the Winchester Cathedral album? I do, yeah, and I'm not that impressed. He's a, he's a better singer than that. No, and it's got and, uh, no. He's like no, it does. It's very charming. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But I it's love not, Winchester Cathedral. No, Winchester Cathedral, but that is definitely a filler track on that album. It's like you'd never know it was going to be a yeah. a huge uh, a huge hit. Well, we, I, th I think we grabbed it out of no. I think it was probably going to. It was one of those like that was going to be in Tin Pan Alley forever. Yeah, and yeah, People yeah. would have a go at it. And yeah. Oh, it's too much like this, and then. But we 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 always went we never ever recorded anything that we didn't give full in and then if it didn't work we throw it away yeah no that's that's the way to do it well yeah. we have a a couple of your strolling troubadours yeah billy and vance are yeah, gonna yeah. come in and are we gonna do there's a kind of hush and you're gonna do there's oh, a kind of hush. well you you uh you were so you're surprised by that you don't want to do that no i, I really want to do that but can i just do it in one take 
Yeah, you can. No, we're going to be here all night. We're going to, I want to get it right this time. We're going to be here till three in the morning doing 58 takes because there's something you do in like the second quarter that I think we need uh, to okay. like get really worked and do overdubs, be here. We'll be here till four in the morning. We'll you go can... in and redo the word the. Yeah. Just drop in the word the. I think actually it's the problem is uh, uh before uh. a kind. I don't want to throw you off or anything. There's just... a kind. <laughs> yeah, okay. We can drop in for that. Give it, just give it some... <laughs> okay. Let's give so it, it. There's Billy. a kind of hush all over the world Tonight all over the world You can hear the sounds of lovers in love You know what I mean, just the two of us And nobody else inside there's nobody else and I'm feeling good Holding you tight So listen very carefully Closer now and you will see what I mean It isn't a dream The only sound that you will hear Is when I whisper in your Forever and ever There's a kind of hush All over the world Tonight all over the world People just like us Are falling in love And all the children sing La 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 A dream. Yeah. The only sound that you will hear is when I whisper in your ear, I love you forever and ever. There's a kind of hush all over the world tonight, all over the world, people just like us. Yeah, they're falling in love They're falling in love Good job, lads. Good stuff. And that's, we should say, by the way, that was uh, spliced together from 17 different texts. <laughs> but uh, see if you can spot where we did all the, uh, the joining. That was, a, uh, that was just a fantastic uh, one-take. Uh, take as always by Peter Noon and Herman's Thank well, you, like, Mark. Uh, Peter Noon and Herman's Hermit singing There's a Kind of Hush on our Song of the Week a year or so back. A couple of days after airing that, I received a note from Jeff's daughter, Jenny Stevens, who enjoyed uh, Peter's performance. Fantastic, said Jenny. Peter Noon still sounds great. So very proud of my dad, Jeff Stevens, and Uncle Les Reed for writing this great song. It is a great song, and our condolences to Jenny and her family. That was a great Jeff Stevens song from the 60s. 
Next time round, we'll have some great Jeff Stevens songs from the 70s. That will do it for today's show. I will be in for Kathy Shadel on the movie beat later. And then tomorrow evening, we will be launching a new tale for our time and you will not want to miss it. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.